May all grace, mercy, and peace come to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our gospel lesson from Mark chapter 5 will serve as the basis for the sermon today. You know, some people in this world define success by the amount of money they have, or the title that they carry, or their status in life, or even the amount of followers they have on social media. Even churches tend to define success by, by quantity, by the amount of people that are in our pews. And we certainly know that as Christians that we're no less acceptable to the trappings of Satan and, and how he would define, have us define success than anybody else in this world. But I got to wonder, as Christians, what makes us successful? It's our relationship with our Lord. How in touch are we with our Lord? There's some in this world that won't touch Jesus with a 10-foot pole. There's other people in this world who will try to sneak a touch of Jesus, maybe because they're so ashamed of what they've done in life. And there's others yet that will only approach Jesus as an absolute last resort. So which one are you? Which one am I? Being a Christian, a disciple of Christ, requires pursuing the riches of Christ instead of pursuing the riches of the world. But that also means great risk and sacrifice on a disciple's part. Christ the King, Christ our great King, came down and became poor and, and despised person for our sake. And yet, for those who have nothing else to lose, Jesus is seen as their hope and source of richness. The Gospel of Mark gives us two separate instances of this today. Two accounts, uh, a two-for-one deal, and who doesn't like a bargain, right? Here's Jesus with uh, encountering two separate people, one on his way to heal a synagogue ruler's daughter and a lady who risks a sneak of a touch of his garment as Jesus passes by. And what we witness here is a direct encounter by Jesus with both of these people, although one encounter is delayed. No sooner had Jesus stepped off the boat than Jairus falls at his feet. Now, Jesus is yet again surrounded by a great crowd. Last week, he left a great crowd on the Sea of Galilee and came back to a great crowd. Seems like his reputation just precedes him. And here are all these people, and he steps off that boat onto the shore, and none other than Jairus, of all people, a synagogue ruler, falls weeping at Jesus' feet, pleading with him, for his touch to encounter his daughter so that she may be healed, be made well, and live. This is no small thing on the part of Jairus. It's a synagogue ruler, remember? They're used to following the law and doing things on their own volition to get themselves healed and clean. Did Jairus come to the realization then that man cannot simply do all, everything himself or anything for himself for that matter? Perhaps Jairus had expended all of his efforts and all of his funding on his daughter and finally came to the realization that that's not even enough. And now here he is, realizing at the 11th hour that Jesus is his only hope. We don't know. We just know he's here at the feet of Jesus now pleading for a touch. Seems that wherever Jesus goes, these great crowds follow him, right? On the shore, he leaves, he comes back to him. 
They're going through the towns with him. They crowd the houses. They press in on him so he can't even eat half the time. And this is no different. They probably have heard what Jesus has done and want to experience another great miracle for themselves. Like, what's he going to do next? Amazement. That tends to happen to people who've never had Jesus in their life, who've never experienced grace, but have only had hardships, have only mourned and weeped and gnashed their teeth at things. But here's this great crowd, and here's Jesus going with Jairus on the way to the house when he becomes interrupted. How often have you felt that way? You pled with God to help you out, and it seems like there's this huge delay in God getting to your doorstep. Well, here he is, Jesus walking on his way, when we know that there's this lady in the crowd who's been having a discharge of blood for 12 years. We know that she's expended all that she's had on trying to get well. And instead of getting better, she's only grown worse. And has had nothing to show forever. And there she is in this crowd and sees Jesus coming up and thinks, if I can just touch his garment, I will be made well. Now think about that for a moment. She's in Jewish country. Jesus is back in Jewish country after coming back from the land of the Gerasenes, right? She knows that she's unclean. And you know what Jewish law says about uncleanliness? Can't be with these great you know, crowds of people. You got to be isolated and all this. And yet here she is in secrecy in this crowd, risking it everything that she has. The only thing that she has left, which is her freedom, herself. And as Jesus passes by, she reaches out and grabs his garment. And we know what happens then. Immediately, her blood dries up and she is made well. All is well, all because she risked reaching out to Jesus. This is no small thing on her part either. But when one has nothing left to lose, why not? You're going to take great risks like this. Surrounded by a whole bunch of witnesses, and I imagine perhaps Jairus might have been a little stunned himself, especially when Jesus stops. Because not only did she feel herself being healed, he felt power going out of himself as he's walking along. And then Jesus stops and, you know, who touched my garments? And of course, we know the disciples' response. Well, you're in a great crowd, and you ask this question. That doesn't deter Jesus, right? Now, the, here's the thing. He's going to heal another little girl who he knows is on death's doorstep. And he stops to find out who touched his garment. Who risked touching him? And now I can imagine she probably shrunk back in that crowd a little bit more. Because Jesus asked this great question and she's standing there probably wincing, hiding, because she now knows that she's exposed further, especially in front of a synagogue ruler. Everything she's ever had is going to be completely gone. Shunned, more of an outcast, jailed, perhaps beaten, whipped. Who knows what would have happened to her? But something happens to her. She's convicted. She's feeling guilty. Even though she's afraid, she approaches Jesus. She comes right out and risks every last bit of dignity that she ever could carry. And she says that it's her that touched her. 
What would we have done in this woman's shoes? Might you have shrunk back in the crowd? Would you have had the courage to step forward as this woman did to approach Jesus now, even though you're fearful, falling at His feet, spilling your guts? But instead of rebuke and further consequence, she receives recognition. Isn't that what every human being wants in life? Is to be recognized as somebody? To have value? To count? Imagine feeling the way that this woman did as an outcast, shrinking in crowds, but now receiving recognition as Jesus calls her daughter. Imagine how she must have felt in that moment. Not only healed, but having recognition. And then, furthermore, Jesus bestows upon her peace and tells her to go in peace as she's now healed, to be healed. It's about something greater. This isn't just about an account of faith on this woman's part or, you know, or her being cured from her healing, I mean, from her bleeding. It's about greater things. It's about to get back to the urgent issue at hand of what God is all about, about who we are before Him. So now back to Jairus' daughter is apparently Jesus got sidetracked Jairus' daughter died. That's what we find out. People from Jairus' house head them off. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Yeah, G- yeah, Jairus. Why'd you bother him in the first place? Your daughter's dead. What good is it going to do you now? But Jesus won't let hopes go unchecked. Hopes being dashed go unchecked. He just went from a moment in time where one lady's hopes soared to another where a guy's hopes are dashed. But what does Jesus do? Do not be afraid. Only hope. Believe. Believe. You know, Jesus does what Jesus does, right? He always will, apart from us. He's always going to do what's necessary to cure somebody. He requires action on our part as His disciples. But how often have we been like those people? Don't bother the teacher anymore. How often have we told ourselves that? Don't bother the teacher anymore. We felt like Jesus has been delayed in reacting to us and we just refuse to reach out and touch Him. You know, it would be easy to write this two-for-one deal off as more stories of Jesus' miraculous powers or of healing or even of taking this text to be about a life of faith and how having in faith, faith in Jesus heals. It's those things for sure. But it's also about the rich blessings that we find in His presence. Being in touch with Jesus brings about a cure, brings about healing. It makes us rich, just maybe not in ways that we would expect it to. And certainly, not always defining or being in line with the definition of of the world has of success. But it does make us rich. The problem is the thin line between faith and fear. As Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. We know we shouldn't be afraid, but... Have faith that He's working all things who are good. The problem is, is that 
as he says, do not be afraid, means that we're already afraid. We've always already been immersed in fear, maybe perhaps of what's coming next or what the outcome is going to be with what we're facing. And like with Jairus, though, the issue is, is those things. Fear. How do we get out of it? How do we not be so afraid to approach our Jesus? When are we going to learn? We hear it week in and week out, and yet every one of us guilty of not approaching Jesus because of fear. Maybe if we stopped trying to do everything ourselves and stayed in constant touch with Jesus, we would begin to be a little less fearful. How often have we, have we prayed as a last resort? Somebody once quipped that as long as there's exams in school, God will always be there because people will always pray. Things like that in our own lives. We always seem to pray to Jesus when we've exhausted everything else, even ourselves. Is it that Jesus is too slow in responding to us? Is it that there's not enough of Jesus to go around to heal all of our situations? Jesus has more than enough power to encompass all of creation with His healing. And His power is transforming. Notice here in these accounts that neither the woman with the bleeding or Jairus asked Jesus directly to heal them, to give them a cure. He only asked that they be made well so that they would live. Hey, we can imply those things, but... And Jesus never said to the woman or to Jairus either, right? You are healed, now go live a carefree lifestyle. Don't worry about anything. Just go relax a little bit. Jesus never promises those things either. But Jesus does address both the woman and Jairus' daughter, offering one piece and the other one something to eat. An encounter with Jesus brings about a cure, and a cure may not always be what we expected. Perhaps we should define the cure that Jesus offers as an outward response of an inward transformation. Maybe then we would know that Jesus cured somebody or cured our own souls for that matter. And so, who are these people in our lives that need an encounter with Jesus? Who are the ones who are so ashamed of what's going on in their life that they're afraid to approach Jesus? Perhaps expending all they have first and then as a very last resort, secretly approaching Him and stealing a touch. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's our family members or the communities that we live in. We need to stay in touch with our Lord. And our Christian callings then involve us helping to connect others to Christ. Sometimes our involvement may simply be empathizing and listening or providing tangible resources to people in need. It certainly does not involve us making excuses for why God hasn't done something in their lives, or perhaps changing the theology of God to fit somebody's expectations. But as we're in touch with Christ in worship, and in sacraments, and in Scripture, and in Christian fellowship, we find ourselves then equipped to be present with those who need Christ's transforming power in their own lives. And through us then, as disciples of Christ, His power is spread and His presence is known. Christ does whatever is necessary to cure, to heal, to bring peace, as much for us 
as those we encounter who are suffering. So staying in touch with Christ makes us rich. Staying in touch with Christ is the definition of success. And to God be all the glory. Amen.